I am teaching from Psalm 65, 11, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest and even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Boy, if that doesn't describe what God is doing at CT right now, I don't know what does. And then this verse that I've asked you to consider in Haggai 2, 18, 19, consider now from this day, by now you ought to know it, say it, and what? Shout it out loud. And from this day I will what? Bless you. All right. Numbers 19, 14 through 15. This is the law when a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days and every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. This was a purification ritual designed to keep contamination from spreading into disease. And so there's death working around us. And you might not, or maybe you do, know that the life cycle of most bacteria and germs is if they're out of the human body for a period of seven days, most of them die. A virus like a cold, it can linger longer. But uh, things like, for example, HIV and all these other things, their lifespan outside of the body is actually very short. And what God did, he was implementing a period of isolation and purification when death occurred so that there would not be disease or plague sweep through the nation of Israel. Well, we live in a day and age when there is death working all around us. Satan, his modus operandi is he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he is constantly at work trying to contaminate your family, your life, your finances, your business. Need I go on? Your children? And what God does is he provides this, all of these Old Testament uh, ceremonial laws had spiritual application. If there's an open vessel that doesn't have a covering, that contamination gets into that vessel. What God was really helping us understand in this day and age when modern medical science has advanced to the point where they know so much more about microbiology than they did in the day that this was written and God gave this commandment to Moses. What God was really showing us was the value of spiritual coverings. If this vessel has a covering, it is protected from being contaminated. If it is not covered, it has to be decontaminated for seven days and purified. And on the eighth day, following the period of time that the contamination would have been allowed to die, as it were, outside of the, of the host, that the party that had died in the house, if he died of some communicable disease, then this seven-day period of isolation would now render this clean. And, of course, they had a cleansing ceremony, and then it was put back into use. So we've been talking about the value of spiritual coverings. My subject is the function and the power of spiritual coverings. There are eight of them, blood coverings, prayer coverings, worship coverings, coverings of grace, love coverings. Coverings of the anointing, coverings of glory, and ministry coverings. I could literally take a month on each one of those. I could take longer. I could spend the whole year on just this one subject that is that comprehensive. But I, I only took one Sunday to talk about blood, blood coverings and another to take about talk about prayer coverings. And that is because I've got a lot of things I need to teach this year. But I've taken, today will be the third Sunday that I'm talking about worship coverings. And blood coverings provide divine protection. Um, then prayer coverings, they provide access to the promises and provisions of God. 
a worship covering enables access to the glory dimension because there is a dimension beyond the anointing. Most people don't even know that. There is a dimension beyond the anointing. That's the glory dimension. And the rest of those I'll talk about later. You need a worship covering to help you in your relationship with God because they will help you get into that third dimension, which is the glory dimension. Everybody talks about being anointed. Anointing is great, but notice what Aaron did. He was anointed, walked right away, turned his back on the people of God, walked into the tabernacle, spent seven days alone with God in the glory dimension, and when he came back out, then he ministered to people. You see, you can't minister what you don't and give what you do not have. That's a spiritual principle such as I have, give I unto thee. And Aaron demonstrates that the anointing is great, but there's a dimension beyond that. And uh, that's where God acts supernaturally. Amen. And this is critical in our day because I see Christianity in America, if it's not careful, reaching the place that it has already reached in Europe, where they have huge cathedrals that on Sunday morning have 15 people in attendance. But you ask them and they say they're Christian. In America, right at 78% of Americans claim to be Christian. But did you know that 74%, according to a survey just a few years ago, 74% of Christians say they have never had a divine encounter with God, the living God. Oh, they got saved, they gave their heart to the Lord, but they've never had one of those life-transforming experiences where God touched them so profoundly that for the rest of their life, they'll never be able to get away from it. Uh, Has that ever happened to you? Anybody here have a life-changing encounter with God? Many of you raise your hands. I want to tell you, God touched me at the age of six, and as you've heard me say, from that day forward, I didn't fit in the world anymore. Even though I went out into nightclubs and rock music and made my living doing crazy stuff, I'd have people walk up to me that were total strangers and say, you don't belong here. There's something different about you. God put a mark on me that I couldn't get away from at the age of six. And you need an encounter with the living God. It will change your life for as long as you live. Worship coverings help you with that. Because oftentimes in living life, you're beset with challenges that can be so overwhelming that they command all of your energy and attention and demand that it be focused on that problem. Have you ever come to the house of God and something was going on that was so traumatic you simply could not get your mind off of it? Whether that's a bad diagnosis, a problem on the job, in your family, your finances, your business, or whatever. What happens when you come into a church that has a worship covering, a church that has touched the glory dimension and knows how to get there? As you come in and you can't even focus or marshal your energy and turn it to God where you you can get to where you need to be. You're struggling, but you can't. It just it's holding you back. And what happens is the worship covering picks you up and like the waves on the ocean carries you in, amen, into the presence of the living God. It's referred to in Isaiah 61 and 3 to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The word garment here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word otah, and it means a cover or covering. 
The word in the Hebrew actually was the, the, the vestment of the priest, but its root word that, as I mentioned, was atal, didn't just mean the vestment the priest was required to wear and to get into the presence of God, and it was demanded that he wear it. God would kill him if he came into the presence of God without it. Even David, who was not even of the tribe of Levi, to get into the presence of God, put one of these things on because David understood the value of worship. He was actually allowed to go into the presence of God, though people in his 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 uh, uh, tribe and and people in his nation were not allowed to. That was, only, that was reserved only for the tribe of Levi. But that's another story. But the point I'm making is here, the actual root word means to cover. The Hebrew word, atah, literally, the Hebrew word for praise, where it says the garment of praise, is one of the seven words used for praise in the Old Testament. There are seven Hebrew words that describe praise. And many times you'll just find the word praise in your Bible praise. But if you look at the original meaning, it can mean clap your hands. It can mean raise your hands. If you haven't noticed, we're one of those churches that raise our hands. Amen. Uh, It may mean to shout unto the Lord. It may mean to dance. It may mean to bow. It may mean to sing. The seven Hebrew words are translated all the same way, but there's seven different things that are going on. You don't know that if you don't go a little deeper into it. Many churches don't do this kind of thing. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it. Uh, you've been to churches where you better not raise your hand. Amen. And I knew a lady one time that she visited a church of a certain group, and I'm not going to call its name, but the preacher was making a point, and he did such a good job, she forgot where she was at, and she said, amen. And the whole congregation like, what? And became nonplussed, looked at her, and it so rattled the preacher, he lost his place and stopped and looked back and said, he pushed his glasses up on his nose and said, I'll say my own amens, thank you. And, you know, it's obvious that they didn't allow that kind of thing to go on there. Worship coverings, like I said, enable you to get into the presence of God. But there's two kind of singing going on here in the Bible. And the words, the word for singing is the same, even though it means two different kinds of singing. And the word here for praise, where it says garment of praise, I will give them a covering of praise. It's I will give them a covering of tahila, a covering of singing. Well, we think that means we're singing to God because that is a form of praise. But have you ever noticed what was happening uh, when, as you entered the presence of God? It happened just a moment ago. You're singing to him. And all of a sudden, we stop singing and we're in his presence. And if you can listen, God begins to sing to us. That's what was happening here a moment ago. And it's like a relationship here where God begins to sing his love song. You read about this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, where God is depicted as this lover, and he begins to sing a song to his beloved. Zephaniah 3.17 declares, God will rejoice over us with singing. You see, I believe the word right there that says that he will give us the garment, the covering of praise or the the covering of song is not referring to us singing to God because it doesn't say that we will cover ourselves with a song. It says God will give us a covering of singing, meaning it's coming from him. Not from us. Hello. And so people can move beyond thanksgiving. As I've said, the three movements of the symphony of praise and worship are thanksgiving, 
praise and then into that next dimension, into worship, which is where the supernatural occurs. Now, last week I spoke about some of these things that need to be present in a worship covering that it might be effective. Let me move on. Different cultures, as I mentioned last week, express themselves in worship in different ways in their praise and worship of God. Worship is greatly facilitated, as we all know, by the use of worship music. Am I right? I mean, different cultures do express themselves differently. Anglos do this. Amen. And yet, some people are more demonstrative and are liable to get out in the aisle and dance. Hispanic people, I, don't, I hate generalities because you think then that what I'm doing is trying to caricature, caricature a certain ethnicity as doing a certain thing, and that, that's just not what I'm doing at all. But I've, I've, I've traveled nearly every Latin and South American country in meetings, and I've seen Hispanic people really shake when they come into the presence of God. That's common in their culture. You might see that here. I've seen it here many, many times because we have a lot of Hispanics. Houston has a large Hispanic population. We, and my job, your job as well, is to create a place where everybody, regardless of where they come from, can enter into worship. Amen. Because as I said last week, perfect worship in heaven was every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Every ethnicity, hello, every social group, every kindred, family, which what's in a family? Everybody from great-grandma down to the great-grandkids. You've got to create a place where everybody can enter the presence of the Lord because that's where life transformation occurs. I've been in enough places in the world to be privileged to see different types of music used to help worship, worshipers express themselves to God. In India, for example, I've seen them use the little symbols where they bang them together, bang, 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 bang like that, and beat on a drum, doom, 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 like that in the rural parts of India. It's not uncommon. I've also been in rural Africa where they have different kinds of drums and they have a big hollow one, boom, boom, one that's not as big, dong, dong, and different tones. And they'll use a little thing, maybe a gourd, and they'll have a, a bow that they've put attached, a limb to it, and they'll string a few strings. And they can't make different uh, sounds like on a guitar by moving up and down the neck, but they're bing, bong, bong, bing, bong, boom, boom, and like that. And that's how they enter worship. If we were to do that here, you would look at me and say, what in the world has got a hold of you? Amen. Because that's not our culture in the United States. Hello, somebody. Very common there. Amen. And uh, so Jesus said this to the woman at the well. Uh, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeking such to worship him. So then what is true worship? Everybody has their idea. If you look at it contextually, what you find is that Jesus has gone to Samaria. And who are the Samaritans? When Babylon invaded Israel, they overran it, killed nearly everybody there with an education, took their smaller children, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others, carried him away to Babylon, and left the poor... <clears throat> and the uneducated people to till the fields. And what they did is they brought a bunch of people in from other places they had conquered who also brought their gods and settled them in what used to be Israel, the, the, the 
promised land. And these people intermarried. And so they not only, remember, Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So you know what they started doing? They started worshiping in the mountain in Samaria. When the Jews returned 70 years later, they were appalled. They would have nothing to do with Samaritans. They even would take, even though to go around Samaria was an extra seven days journey, they would go around Samaria because they felt those people were reprobates. They had compromised. They worshiped false gods. They worshiped in a different place. They were intermarried. They didn't serve Jehovah God, Yahweh. And so you know what happened? Jesus shows up and said, I need to go to Samaria. And the disciples are like, what? And he meets this woman at the well. And he starts talking to her about her life. And like so many people do when you try to talk to them about issues, she begins to try and change the subject. She misdirects, you see. And she's trying to direct it back to him. And what do you think, Jesus, when he's talked to her about her five husbands and the one she's with right now? Well, what do you think, Jesus? She's getting uncomfortable. She says, what do you think we should do about worship? You say that you Jews say you got to worship in Jerusalem, and we say we worship here. Who's right? And Jesus, who was masterful, have you ever done that, tried to help somebody? And when you talk to them, they answer your question with a question to redirect your attention at somewhere else. That's what she's doing. Jesus was a master, and he will not be sidetracked. He said, the issue is not where you worship. It's how you worship. He's seeking true worshipers. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And so then I see this same thing going on in religion today that everybody's worried about where you worship. And this one goes over here and worships this way. And everybody else is, uh, you're not going to make it because you're not over here with us. And you come over here and you better do it the way we do it right here. Y'all have never seen that go on, have you? Amen. Churches across the street won't even talk to each other. We have very good relationship with our area churches. I just want you to know that. So I'm not talking about any problem in particular. I'm just talking about that Sunday morning, as I said last week, is the most divided hour in the United States of America in the course of a calendar week. And yet we ought to be drawing everybody to God to worship God. But what we have done, we've gotten bogged down where the Samaritan woman was at, at the well. It's all about, well, we worship this way. And look, I want to tell you, worship isn't for you. It's for the Lord. Because if people see him high and lifted up, they will be impacted and their lives will be changed. Amen. You're not going to sing a song well enough to impress them and change their life. Amen. That's another discussion. Amen. And yet, I'll also say this, which is yet still another discussion. We are for order in worship. And so you go to those churches, and this is usually what they do. If they don't allow certain things, they hide it under that catch-all heading, well, we believe in order in worship around here. And it's amazing because what they call order, God calls disorder. And what God calls order, they call disorder. Amen. And look, if it's in the Bible, I'm not going to complain about it. Amen. And so that means today that we need to be sure that our worship is true worship. Oh, hello, somebody. And in this day and age, things are changing rapidly. And uh, music styles, dress codes, everything. I got saved in a Pentecostal movement. Anybody else come in Pentecostal movement? Can I see your hand? Anybody here? And like you've heard me say, they were the seal team of religion. 
the SEAL team of religion. They started in the early 1900s. Azusa Street was in 1905. And they started in the early 1900s. And you know what they did? Everybody in that day dressed just alike. Women had tall hairdos, long dresses. You go to some of the churches, they still dress like that. They look like they stepped out of a 1920 Sears and Roebuck catalog. I'm serious. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not. I'm just telling you. What they did is confuse the culture of the time with the gospel. They tried to preserve the culture. Now, we could do the same thing. Because Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, preached sermons in the hands of an angry God. He wore a powdered wig when he preached. If I were to wear a powdered wig, you would think I had lost my ever-loving mind. And by the way, I don't dye my hair. This is the natural color. Some of you have asked around, I've heard. And it's all mine, see? And it's not glued on or taped on. And no disrespect if that's how yours is. It's, somebody said, is that your real hair? Yeah. Then I paid for it last Friday. Amen. That, that's not the issue. The issue is here. If I were to dress like D.L. Moody, I would wear a top hat and a long coat with tails. I don't dress like that. But folk want to preserve the time they came into the kingdom of God. For example, I hear grumbling about sometimes there's jeans on the platform. Do you know that we now have had two presidents in succession that appear in their office wearing jeans and open collar shirts? Times are a changing, like Bob Dylan said. Amen. My point is you can't preach culture, it's going to change. You might not like it that it's changing, but just go ahead and hang on to your culture, but don't try to make everybody else hang on to it. Because this is what Paul did. When he came to the Gentile church, he made a distinction between culture and gospel. And the Judaizers that followed him around were actually born-again believers who believed Paul was a compromiser because he was not demanding that they also observe Jewish law when they got saved and they were Gentiles. Well, we have the same thing going on in the church right now. People want to make, want you to get saved. They do. They love you. They want you to get saved. But then they, if you want to get the real genuine salvation, you also have to accept my culture too. Amen. Well, is, is that really what we want to do? Because let's talk about worship. Do you know that when David played the Psalms, that they have now figured out the sounds the Psalms were actually sung in? Because the, song, the psalms of, of, the, of David and other songs had little strange markings above the Hebrew letters. And they never could figure out what that was. And so you know what they did? They put that through a computer program and found out to their amazement, these were musical notes. There are only 12 notes in the musical scale. Did you know that? You might not have known it. 12, that's all. Twelve notes in, the, notes in the musical scale. Every symphony, every song, every melody, the millions of songs that have been written, every orchestra, uh, uh, no matter what they, the, 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 it is, it's comprised of those twelve notes in different arrangements. And to me, this blows my mind that man has been given the ability to be so creative that he can take twelve little notes and make the music that exists all over our world. Amen. And so... 
If you really want to preserve culture, this is what one of the psalms originally sounded like. This is using the lyre. It's going to get you excited. That's David. I know that just makes you want to get up and run the aisles and shout and dance all over the house, doesn't it? Well, if it does, it didn't me. Amen. Now we'll add another instrument. This is the lyre and a pipe like David played. What's this? the idea, if I were to say we're going strictly with what it was in the Bible, that's what we would have up here on the platform right now. And I bet you wouldn't be back next Sunday either. <laughs> Do you get my point that cultures have changed whether we wanted them to or not? Amen. And you must not make your culture become your gospel because it's going to change. Newsflash, music is in and of itself not wrong. It's the message that the music contains, the lyrics, the words. Because the same music can promote God or the same melody can talk about drugs and sex and thugging and everything else and immorality and all these other things. It's not the music, it's the words. Many people don't realize that Satan, when he left heaven, stole music. Listen, Ezekiel 28, 11 through 17, the word of the Lord came saying, son of man, take up a limitation for the king of Tyre. Who is that king of Tyre? And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the garden or in Eden, the garden of God. Well, it's real easy to figure out who was in Eden. There were only four, Adam, Eve, God, and the devil. So which one was it? Let's read a little bit further. You had, you, every precious stone was your covering, the sawdust, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, etc. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub, which is a type of angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth among the fiery stones, so forth. And I said, I, you were perfect from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you, and you sinned, verse 16, and he said, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the holy mountain and destroyed you, O covering cherub, because your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Isaiah said this, that five times the devil said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will exalt my throne above the God. The, the God. I will be worshipped like God, so forth. So Satan was actually the anointed cherub that covers. Did you get that? The one that provided the worship covering for heaven. 
and built unto him were all of the musical instruments. Got to watch it. Got to watch it. I'm going to slip up on you here in just a moment. And you might figure out that what you think you know, you don't know. And then he sinned. He was one of several of the leading angels of heaven. Michael the archangel was the one that led the armies of God into battle. Gabriel was the messenger angel that commissioned angels to go out to receive the prayers of of God's people and humanity, bring them to God, and then commission them to return with the answers to the prayers. Satan was the one that led the angels of heaven in worship, and he was cast out. So it wasn't Adam and Eve that this is talking about, and it certainly wasn't God because God wasn't created. So we've now moved from four people to three. If it was a created being, God already existed. He wasn't created. So now who is it, Adam, Eve, or the devil? God makes it very, very clear. It was the devil. He was in heaven, walked among the fiery stones. So there's no dispute here. And he was cast to the earth. Guess what he did? He tried to steal heaven's music. There's this tremendous scene from the movie Ray. Jamie Foxx won an Oscar for this movie, did a great job. I want you to watch this and pay close attention to the guy that doesn't like the music and what he has to say. If I call her on the telephone and tell her that I'm all alone, by the time I cut my wonderful, I hear her. Hold on. Hey, you got a problem. Yeah, I got a problem. That's gospel you singing. You're turning God's music into sex. You're making money off the law. <laughs> Don't y'all smile at me. All of y'all in it too. All of y'all going straight to hell. She's right. Y'all need to come on here, man. No, this y'all is Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. It's okay. It's okay. Let him go. You got a right to believe what you believe. Did you hear what they said? They didn't say, you're bringing the devil's music into church. He said, you're taking God's music into the club. I have two problems with that. First of all, what was that dear brother and sister doing in the club to begin with? Busted. Busted. And the second was, why since that time have we decided to let the devil have any music at all? It was all God's music. It was stolen out of heaven. But now you go to churches, and if somebody doesn't play the kind of music that you like, that's the devil's music in church. And a holy hush descended on the house of God. Let's have some fun. Are you ready? I'm going to take you on a musical journey through musical styles through the ages. First, let me point out that we understand the spiritual realm that cannot be seen by first looking at the natural realm that can be seen. 1 Corinthians 15, 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Does that mean the natural was created before the spiritual? No. Paul is talking to people about how to understand the spiritual dimension And he says, the natural comes first. You see that, then it will give you insight and you can extrapolate into the spirit dimension. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about. You remember the experiment when you were just a kid in school? They put iron filings on a piece of paper and put a magnet underneath it. And you can see the magnetic field, a line around the, the magnet that's under the paper. You can't see a magnetic field. But now, looking at the natural, you can see what can't be seen. Same thing with electricity. You can't see electricity, but because somebody turned on the lights, you can now see what can't be seen. In the spirit dimension, if you look at the natural, it will give you understanding into the spiritual realm. This is a huge and very important spiritual law. Amen. I want to show you something about church music if you're going to be a true worshiper. Did you know that from the 1100s to 1850, a period of 750 years, that, that music, popular music styles, that is popular as expressed by the average population, did not change for 750 years. Their favorite style of music was traditional. Now, during that time, there were great symphonies that were written for the intelligentsia, the creme de la creme, you know, the sophisticated and so forth. But the average person just liked traditional music. So when Martin Luther had his famous epiphany and wrote the 95 theses that he nailed to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, he also began to write songs. And he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Play that if you would, please. You ever see this done in church? Okay. That's somebody that has a problem with their arm. They can't keep it still. Amen. Okay. I'm just teasing you. Did you know that that tune was from a popular traditional song that was sung in taverns? <gasps> I'll never sing it again. So help me to God in Jesus' name. Amen. No, that's the point. There was no difference in church music and secular music. The tunes were the same. It was the words that made the difference. And then in 1850, they introduced a new style of music called folk music. And you know what happened to the church? We developed songs to similar melodies, such as, y'all probably don't even remember this, Life is Like a Mountain Railroad. Life is like a mountain railway. Thank you. And then in, from the 1900s to the 1930s, they developed what was called Dixieland Jazz. Think Louis Armstrong, New Orleans, and... Hello, yeah. this is Louis. You know what churches begin to sing? Now when the saints go marching in... Thank you. Same kind of music. Hello, help me out. 1930 to 1940, it was big band and swing. Now, what I want you to see is for 750 years, music remained the same. Then in 50 years, it developed a new style. And then in 30 years, a second new style. And then, are you ready for this? In 10 years, another new style. Amen. Oh, this is, this is incredible. And then in 10 more years, they developed several styles. 1930, it was big band and swing. Think Duke Ellington, take the A train. You know what we had in church back in those days? Gospel music had Ralph Carmichael every time I feel the spirit. Listen. Okay, thank you. 
if you notice what's going on is the church is keeping pace. Same kind of music styles. But then, guess what happened? Secular music began to develop so many different styles. In the 1940s, it was jazz and bebop. All of me. Why not take all? It's good. And Nat King Cole and Dizzy Gillespie. And, but in church, we had Ella Fitzgerald singing and Mahilda Jackson. And then during the same decade, bluegrass and country became popular. Think Bill Monroe and Rocky Road Blues. Thank you. You say, why in the world are you playing that music in church? Because I am going to make a point here. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I like that. Will you pray for me? I need the prayers and you need the practice. And it will help both of us. Okay. But you know what we had when they were out there singing? Bluegrass and country. We had Hank Williams. And see if you ever heard this song before. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. Up until that time you would find the same music in church that you found outside the church. It was the words that Christians felt made the difference and whether it was godly or sinful. But then the 1950s came along and all these guys in that era openly admitted they were impacted and influenced by church music. There was Elvis. You ain't nothing but a dogger. I'm having so much fun watching some of y'all's expression. You're looking around like lightning's going to fall in here any moment, you know. Amen. It was Roy Orbison, Chuck Berry, all of these influenced by gospel music. Church music was impacted by this influence as well. Think this quartet song. Elvis even used the gospel group, the Stamps Quartet, to back him up. Anybody remember J.D. Sumner? And then during the same decade, Motown took off, Think Temptations. Diana Ross, the Supremes. And during the same time, doo-wop. And right there is where the church started falling behind. It was changing too fast for us to keep up. Music styles in the world really diversified came the 60s. The British invasion occurred. Rock and roll. Think Beatles and I want to hold your hand. And then think surf music. The Beach Boys. I bring back any memories to anybody. And then think rhythm and blues. This is where I really locked in right here. Georgia. 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 And Bob Dylan and folk music and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Many roads must a man walk down. Thank you. And then came the 70s, and we thought it had taken off. Remember, this is Rolling Stone. Man, it took 750 years to develop one new style of music and 50 years to develop the second and 30 years to develop the third. 
And now then, there's so many being developed each decade that you can't even keep track. So there's Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. And there's psychedelic rock. Anybody remember a guy named Jimi Hendrix? Then disco. Y'all remember this? Yeah. I'll get your attention one way or another. And Willie Nelson. Country. Blue eyes crying And funk. James Brown. And the church is saying, that's devil music. <laughs> we kept up until then. It even started going faster in secular music during the 80s. It was heavy metal. Think Led Zeppelin. In the 80s, it was also glam rock. Think Madonna, Michael Jackson. Then think American country, Garth Brooks, Glenn Campbell. He won't even play country. Amen. Anyway, I got friends in low places. Garth Brooks. Okay, then adult contemporary. Think Fleetwood Mac, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith. And then urban contemporary. Think Whitney Houston. So I'm saving all my love for you. Are y'all having fun? Are y'all about to lose your mind here? Are you, uh, okay, I'm going to show you something. I really am. Then in the 90s, it was dance music. You remember MC Hammer? Can you touch this? Look at my eyes, man. Then grunge. Then techno. The house of God. God's house. Then bubblegum pop. Think Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, in sync. Then new wave. This is still in the same decade of the 80s, no doubt. Same decade. Biggie Smalls and Tupac. And come and knew he'd do the same thing if he could. This whole church is going on a fast for their pastor. <laughs> I wish you could see some expressions. The cameras need to be facing the audience today. And then in the first decade of the 2000s, listen, it was trance music, think Tiesto. Hip hop, think Jay-Z, Eminem. New R&B, think Justin's Child. Teen Pop, think Miley Cyrus, the Jonas Brothers. Alternative Country was introduced, think Tim McGraw. Electro House, think DJ Guetta. Alternative Rock, Coldplay, Maroon 5. 
dubstep. I think we got behind here. Dubstep. Amen. Think scream and where you should be. That was dubstep. In the decade since 2010, these are the different styles of music that have already been developed in just seven years. Witch House, Footwork, Future Garage, Chill Wave, Country Pop, New Pop, Afro Pop, Post Dubstep, Dance Pop, Electro Pop, Synth Pop, Indie Pop, Pop Rock. Think Katy Perry. Think Drake, Hotline Bling. I know when that Hotline Bling. Thank you. That's enough. <laughs> Amen. Christian Hip Hop. I played Lecrae last week. Toby Mack. This is all since 2010. Amen. Number 15, trip hop. Number 16, air pop. You can't even keep up with it. So you know what? Christians allowed the devil to have it, and we said, that's yours. We're going to come here, and we're going to keep singing. I'll fly away. Here's the problem. What happens is, and you need to understand this, the music that you are introduced to from the age of 13 to 28 will be your favorite music styles the rest of your life. Psychologically, that is a proven fact. You know why? Because when you become a teenager and those hormones kick in, you discover there's another gender. You start having puppy love and crushes and you get your heart broken and stomped on. And, and Hello, anybody out there? And then you grow up and you become an adult and you fall in love and probably get married. And you and your wife even start having your own songs that 30 years later when they play it, you just look at each other and smile. It puts you right back in time to that place. Okay? So you've got a 13-year period. I'm sorry, a 15-year period of time there. 15-year period. When the impressions that music makes on you become, as it were, psychologically and emotionally coded into you for the rest of your life. And this is why different age groups like different styles of music, because their experiences are tied to those songs. Amen. And so you remember that scene from Ray? The rest of us look at some of that music and say, that's what the devil, instead of saying, wait a minute, what you doing with God's music? bring it into the club, we say it belongs to the devil. I want to tell you the devil never created one thing. I need a better amen. I'm going to say it again. He never created one thing. It belongs to God. You know why so many churches lose their kids? Because they insist that they accept the culture that was the culture of the parents. Amen. And it's not right any more than it was right for Judaizers to follow Paul around or any more correct than it would be for me to say from now on we're getting rid of all these music instruments and we're going back to the little pipe and the dong, dong. Well, it'd really make you happy, wouldn't it? Amen. The church has stopped adapting. And not only has it stopped adapting, it has stopped leading. I personally believe the church is supposed to lead in every area. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. And so we have gone in my lifetime from songs like you're here in a moment, but before my lifetime, we, from pipe organs to in my lifetime, guitars. You, all, you ever hear this song, Tears Will Never Stain? Play this if you would. Tears will never stain. Anybody ever hear that song other than me? 
You're afraid to raise your hand. I see some, and thank you, I see some people finally being honest. Hands are... Amen. And then during the 40s and the 50s, Southern Gospel Quartets were really big. Anybody remember Mighty Clouds of Joy, Blackwood Brothers? Amen. Play a little bit of that. Mighty Clouds of Joy. Thank you. And then during the 60s, worship music took another turn with people like Andre Crouch, Dottie Rambo, Maranatha, Lanny Wolf. And then came the big gospel choirs, think James Cleveland, and I don't feel no ways tired. Oh, why don't y'all sing? Amen. And then Kirk Franklin showed up. I one time sat in a seat beside him on the airplane, and he did stomp. Stomp. Amen. We had him here at the church one time. I don't know if y'all know that or not. The family. And then Israel Houghton came along. And I am a friend of God. Y'all remember this? Have you noticed that that does not sound like a mighty fortress is our God? And it doesn't sound like tears will never stain the streets of that city. Did you notice, did, did you notice that? Hello, I want to ask you, did anybody pick up on that? And then a whole new group of artists and styles emerged with an even more contemporary style of music. Think Hillsong, think Bethel music, think Jesus culture. Anybody remember the song, Shout to the Lord? Or how about this one, Hosanna by Hillsong? I think they have it. Now more lately... What's happening in worship music is an attempt to make families feel welcome. Because what we do is if you preserve, I'm not the right person to use as an example because I happen to love all kinds of music. I've never heard any style of music I didn't like. Amen. So I'm not, I'm not the right style. I actually had to call my daughter and my grandson and ask them about a song I'll close with and say, what generation is that for? Because I like it too. Amen. I know, y'all going to pray for me. That's okay. That's cool. I need it. Amen. I like all of it because I know that it belonged to God. But what happens is when you insist that there's only one type, what you do is you lose the demographics. You can make your, your gospel music all one kind and lose your different ethnicities or you can make it all one kind and lose grandma and lose grandson and everybody else. You can keep it very restricted. But if you want to touch the world, our job is to unite humanity and bring them into the presence of God. That's why we are here Go ye into all the world. Not the old world. Not the, just the teenage world. Not the white world, the black world, the brown world. Go into all the world. You have to be willing to separate what's gospel from what's culture. Think elevation music. Amen. Gateway music. What am I saying? We must always strive for true worship to take place. As I mentioned, the culture that I came in, I, we, I was raised, we were poor. 
We weren't poor. We were po. I got one white shirt and one pair of trousers a year. That's what I wore to church on Sunday morning. I got two pair of jeans a year. The white shirt and the trouser were for Sunday morning. These days, people no longer have a certain set of clothes they wear to the house of God. That may be lamentable to many of us my age or your age. But do you know that we now have had two presidents that have walked around the Oval Office, been on international television wearing an open-collar shirt, no jacket, and jeans? That's our presidents, the most powerful position in the world. And look at Michelle Obama, beautiful lady, first one we've ever had to dress like she did and go out in public like that commonly and often without sleeves. (gasps) Oh, my God. Forgive me if I'm making it a little bit too sensitive and about things that, that oh, what I want you to understand is, is that these days many people come to the kingdom that don't have two wardrobes. You say, well, they could stop buying some of those expensive sneakers and get them a second one. People want to remain a part of their culture. They want to be accepted. And if you don't show them in the Bible where something is required, why should, they re- why, why should you require it of them? Amen. Not one time do you find in the Bible where it said, there's Jesus. And somebody said, how do you know? Because look at the way he's dressed. He doesn't have any jeans on. Not once. He went to the house of God. He would walk all the way from Jericho, go to Jerusalem and go into the house of God wearing the same clothes he had worn on the journey from Jericho. Think about the implications of that for just a minute. And so, do I like to wear a suit when I come to the house of God? Yes. Do I have my shirt untucked? I do. Why? Because there's some of these kids out there that don't own a suit. A lot of them, uh, people come in, they get saved. They're not required to have a suit to work on their job. And I want to make them feel at home. I don't want them to feel like this is off limits to you. Because I've had people leave this church, not another one, this church. Because somebody got on them about not dressing up formally enough to come to the house of God. And they sent me word that that was all they had to wear. Please, let's not do that. Please, let's love one another and accept one another. Amen. And I'm done. And so when you come here, you might just hear us reach back and get all fly away. We will not be singing Tears will never stain the streets of that city. That I will not allow. That puts me into depression just thinking about it. Amen. I want to go buy some Prozac. Just, just, just mentioning the name of that song. I want to go get me some relief. But we might sing songs like this. I love your presence. Play it. Bethel. That's Jen Johnson with Bethel. Okay. We might sing some elevation music. Play this. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to 
What I want you to see is that churches that hold on, and I'm not going to take you into the churches. I could do that. I even thought about it. That were great churches 20 years ago are now shriveling up and dying. And songs and music styles like this, they're filling up coliseums. And people of all ages are flocking. Why? Because the cloud has moved on. Please help me, somebody. Amen. So what am I saying? Are we getting ready to radically change the music style? No. I just heard some of you grumbling, that's all. So I'm being daddy this morning. You're wanting to know why a pastor will wear jeans on, on, on Sunday Untucked. Because I'm trying to make a statement to people that don't have trousers or a suit. That's right. Amen. And why am I going to play some music like this? Because perfect worship in heaven is all nations, tribes, kindreds, that's families. I don't want to lose any of our young people to the world because we're trying to make them accept our culture. Oh, come on. I don't want you to lose your kids. I want you to know how to bring your children to Jesus. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. What I'm really saying is we're trying to make a place for everybody. But when we do that, I hear some grumble. Amen. And you know what the latest thing is? This is going to really freak you out. This is a song I called Andrew and Shelly about, and Shelly told me point blank. She said, Dad, don't ask me. I'm like you. I like all kinds of music. And so I called Andrew. And, uh, and this is music that is really contemporary right now with young people and teenagers. And this, you remember Hillsong that gave us that song, Shout to the Lord? There was Hillsong, then there was Hillsong United, and the latest thing is Hillsong Young and Free. Listen to one of their songs. This is living You notice the synthesized music? We've gone from pipe organs to keyboards to guitars and mandolins, back to keyboards, back to guitars without the mandolins, all the way up to synthesized computerized music. The day that ever play that in church, I won't ever go back again. Well, you form your little old church, just you and your wife, okay? And when your own kids don't even show up, remember, I tried to help you. Amen? So what I'm really trying to say is, people of God, let's love God and love humanity, okay? Amen. Because our job is to bring all age groups into the Lord's presence. 